Welcome to Shelf Life from Bristol Libraries. I'm Catherine. I'm Paul. And I'm Sean. This is a podcast about libraries, books and people. What are people taking out of the modern public library and what are they giving back? Who's keeping the shelves and spaces between them vibrant and full of life? Plus, we'll be delving into news about books, authors and events across Bristol's 27 libraries. So if you're interested in books or in people, lend us your ears. We hope you enjoy this episode of Shelf Life. Welcome to Shelf Life. And actually, there's lots of people here on this Zoom call today, which is really cool. It's really nice to see so many faces. How is everyone doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Catherine. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. And um, so we've mentioned in the past NHS workers and like frontline or key workers a few times on the show, but talking about them rather than actually hearing from them. So I'm really glad that we've got these three guests today on the show with us. So Ruby, Phoebe and Kat, welcome to Shelf Life. And could you please introduce yourselves? Hi, my name's Phoebe. I work for a charity in domestic abuse. Hello, my name's Kat. I'm an NHS nurse in the community and hospital setting. And I'm Ruby. And I'm an NHS hospital nurse. All right, thank you. So today we'll be talking about the books that we've been reading lately. And then we'll talk about your experiences of the pandemic in those various roles that you've just talked about. And then we'll come back to maybe some of your favourite books and any book groups that you're in and things like that. That sound good? Brilliant. Cool. Cool. All right, let's do that. Yeah. I don't know who wants to kick us off, but has anyone been reading anything good lately? I could get the ball rolling. Yeah, go for it, Paul. So I've been listening to loads of stuff on BorrowBox, the library app, loads of free audiobooks on there. My latest one was My Name Is Why by Lem Sisse, which was a memoir. He was talking about growing up in care, in like foster care, and he's a poet. And it was really well crafted. He did this interesting structural thing of combining like having notes from his social workers and institutions alongside his own kind of commentary. So maybe setting things straight or describing like what it was like emotionally, the thing that had been described or or putting in some context. So that worked really well for like unfolding the story. Like I suppose there was a lot in there through that about storytelling and objectivity and who's telling the story and so on. So it was really interesting for that side of it as well and an insight into that system during the like 70s and 80s when he was growing up. Uh, and there was a lot of really upsetting stuff, but ultimately quite uplifting stuff as he developed as a poet as well and as a person. Um, I completely loved that book. I read that last year on holiday. I, I cried my eyes out. It's so moving. Yeah. But it's told like a lot of grace and like a lot of warmth to it. Yeah, I thought it was a really, really brilliant book. Yeah, and it worked well as an audio book. So it had different voices reading the different letters and his own coming in with his own experiences. Yeah, that was quite something. That's well. quite interesting, actually, how they made it for an audiobook. Because when you read yeah. the book, it's literally photos of the documents from his social workers, what they've written. Mm-hmm. Re- yeah, really interesting memoir. Does someone else want to come in with what you've been reading? I've actually been reading a recommendation from this podcast. Mm-hmm. So in the early days of this podcast, you mentioned uh, Rife, the collection of essays from young people. Um, and I've been really enjoying that. It's been really interesting to reflect back over kind of the last 10 years of growing up and what things apply. The last chapter that I read has really stuck with me, which was talking about feeling socially drained and really giving your all and yourself to being sociable. 
And as we go back to doing a little bit more of that now that COVID and lockdown is kind of passing through, I've really been finding to do social things is suddenly really draining again. So that was very relevant to the moment, I thought. Yeah, I can relate to that. I just want to add, actually, that was edited by Nikesh Shukla, who also edited a collection of essays called The Good Immigrant, which is on BorrowBox. And that is fantastic. And again, it's, it works really well as an audiobook, each essay being read by the person who wrote it. So we've got all these different viewpoints and perspectives. Also a brilliant read. So I read constantly and haphazardly, and I always have. If I see a book in someone else's hand... I have to fight the urge not to take it out of their hands and just start reading it and not give it back until I finished. Um, <laughs> and I've endangered a few friendships that way. So I'm actually really grateful to Phoebe, who here, who um, reads just as much as me, but it, like recently has become a lot more selective with her choices. So she'll pick certain authors or new releases and recommend them to me after she's read them. So actually, the books I've read recently, um, I'll hand over to Phoebe to talk about because she read them first. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about Girl, Woman, Other. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Bernadine Avaristo, who won the Man Booker Prize last year for her book, Girl, Woman, Other, which uh, was absolutely fantastic. It's kind of structured in different short stories about different women, and it's kind of separated into groups of three women so you'll have maybe a mother and a daughter and then maybe one of their friends and it'll tell you a little story about each of them yeah it's very sweet they all kind of come together at the end mainly black mainly lesbians there's a character who's trans as well and it's really fantastic and funny and heartbreaking um, and I really don't know what else to say about it because I didn't plan <laughs> um, to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, Ruby, do you want to say something? Well, yeah, I really enjoyed Go Woman Other um, after you recommended it to me. I found the writing style very unusual and I already read books too fast and it kind of made me gallop through it because it's kind of written... And, well, I was desperate to know what happened to every character and it was written in such short sentences, almost like somebody's thought process just spilling out so that I read it far too fast and I want to go back and read it again. And I liked the fact that they were all so realistic. They could be real people that I knew. So yeah, I just finished reading her other book, Mr. Loverman, about a 74-year-old Black Caribbean man living in East London, surrounded by his Caribbean community. Um, and he is married to a woman but he's been having a 60-year secret relationship with his friend, Morris. He hasn't come out to any of his friends or family, and it's really funny and it's really sad. And there's chapters in it from both the main character, Barry, as well as his wife, Carmel. And you get to see the impact that Barry living with this secret has had on both the lives of these characters um, and they're both very flawed in their own ways but you really come to empathize with the both of them and I think that's something that's really lovely about it yeah I can't remember now when it was published but when she was published it she was told that it was niche and like triply niche because that main character is he's black he's gay and he's he's old he's over 70 and that's quite unusual yeah the amount of fiction that you read where the main character is all of those things 
Yeah, I went to see her do a kind of a live podcast. And yeah, she talked about that and the tendency for characters to write from the perspective of young people, particularly women. And she kind of said, even older women have a tendency to write from the perspective of very young women, women and she doesn't really understand why that is. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so Catherine, have you been reading anything lately? I've actually, I've not been reading a huge amount, but um, I picked up quite recently, uh, the book is called Rainbow Milk and it's by Paul Mendez. And it's a debut novel and it's published by Dialogue Books. So this is an imprint of a much bigger publisher, Hachette. So that's one of the big six publishers. Um, But this imprint focuses particularly on diversity. So they publish books that are for and about and written by lots of different diverse communities. So whether that's working class or BAME or disability or LGBTQ plus. Yeah, I love dialogue books. They have done a couple of events at the libraries. They published a book by Lisa Coe called The Leavers, which was brilliant, about a boy of Chinese heritage being adopted by white parents and kind of his life. It was brilliant. Yeah, I have heard of that one. I've not read it. This actually, again, I know we already talked about Bernadine Everest quite a lot, um, but I found this review that she wrote of the book and she described it as... So this is about rainbow milk. She just said, when did you last read a novel about a young, black, gay, Jehovah Witness man from Wolverhampton who flees his community to make his way to London as a prostitute? That basically just kind of sums up the story. It's like a coming of age story about this character, but it's a lot about different experiences and intersectionality. So how they tie in together. Um, So it's all about race and class and sexuality and religion. And it's across several generations as well. So yeah, so I'm really enjoying it. It's also, um, which I quite like, uh, so he writes really, really well about um, music. There's just a lot of descriptions about the music that he's listening to. Uh, So it sort of goes through like 80s, 90s and noughties. Um, But at the same time I was reading it, I thought like, oh, I really want like a soundtrack of this book. So I went on Spotify and um, there is actually one. Um, but it's got like 50 tracks that he talks about in the book. And I just thought that was really cool. Nice. Yeah. I'm still reading 1984. I mentioned it uh, a couple of episodes ago. And honestly, I'm finding it really quite slow going. I don't know if any of you have read it. I found I quite long to get through. I'm not going to lie. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so reading it and it's going along. Yeah. And I, at first I didn't really understand there's a love affair between the two main characters, Winston and Julia. Yeah. And I just thought, this has come out of nowhere. And I really yeah. didn't understand it. Um, yeah. But as, as I'm reading it and thinking about it a bit more, I'm thinking that, you know, when times are tough, maybe it's really easy to just gravitate towards people who show the slightest sort of same mindset as you. They're both against the autocratic system and Big Brother. I haven't quite got to the more famous parts like Room 101 yet, so hopefully it'll get a bit more lively. But saying that, I was looking it up and I saw that there's a film and I saw that there's also a stage show of it. And watching the adverts for both the stage show and the film kind of allowed me to reimagine the bleakness of the landscape of the book which perhaps I'm sort of lacking right now as I feel it's a bit of a slog. Mm, that's interesting. Mm. I have to say that I, lo- I loved it but then my favourite genre 
is utopian or dystopian fiction yeah so I devoured it but then I can't say it gets easier or nicer if anything it will get more miserable oh no <laughs> sorry but more interesting more lively as you say I also have been reading books that I just found on the shelf at the temporary accommodation I'm staying in whilst I was shielding from my parents and I found a book by Sarah Waters that I hadn't read called The Paying Guest which I really, really enjoyed, actually. But it was quite traumatic, sort of a long, drawn-out court process where it's very traumatic and emotional, and it really affected me to the point where I, it was making me feel really miserable because it was written so well that it was like I was going through this traumatic process. And um, I nearly had to put it down at points, but now I finished it. So, yeah, I'm glad I read it. That's a good one. She's written a few. That's the only one that I've read. Um, and I, I also, yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, fairly heavy going. Yeah. Uh, but she's written another really famous one called Tipping the Velvet, which is like on my list of books to read, but I, I've not got to see yet. Me too. But, yeah, I like her a lot as an author. Mm, me too. Yeah, Tipping the Velvet is fantastic. Yeah. But I think that my favourite one by her is Fingersmith. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good twisting murder mystery almost. That with, It goes places you don't expect, Fingersmith. It's a great one. I recommend that. So like if I was going to go back to reading some Sarah Waters, would you say Fingersmith or Tipping the Velvet? I would say, I would say Fingersmith. <laughs> I think that Tipping the Velvet... It's, um, <laughs> it, it's quite filthy, yes. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that Fingersmith is easier to get through because it's just full of twists. Yeah, I definitely recommend that one first. Oh, sounds good. I'm keen to hear more from the three of you about your jobs and about your experience of of COVID and everything. So start with Ruby and Kat. What's it been like being NHS nurses during the pandemic so far? and, And how have you both been doing with that? Well, it has certainly been a challenge. But uh, as nurses, we are kind of prepared and trained for that. And under the way nursing's been over the last kind of 10 years, in my experience, through training and working, we are always up for a new challenge. It has been really odd to turn to our kind of elder nurses. I don't know how you feel about this, Ruby. And, you know, you kind of turn to them for advice generally, and they usually have the answer. And it's really odd for them not to have the answer because they've obviously not been through something like this either. I think the greatest challenge for myself has been the PPE. I've never worked in a hotter environment in my life. You're wrapped in plastic. But I've learned, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a really good team and I knew my team was good. But I'm in a really great team, which has been really great. We've been seeing a lot more patients with um, mental health and stress issues due to what's been going on. It's been a very anxious time for absolutely everyone. Um, and I think when you've got long-term health conditions that combined with anxiety it just all gets a lot worse for people but I think the thing that I've noticed as kind of the hardest for our patients when working in the hospital in particular is no visitors it's been really odd for people not to have that person to turn to a kind of person of comfort Um, and of course we're we're busy staff and we're doing all the medical bit Um, so often you don't get time to sit and hold a hand in the same way that um, family members do kind of sit and reassure. Um, I had one 
very sweet moment at the beginning of nursing in COVID that um, I will carry with me forever, which is I had an elderly patient. I was working on an elderly ward in a community setting and I had an elderly patient who deeply missed his family. So they arranged to all come to the window of the hospital, of the ward, um, and they sat and had a cup of tea with him. And although they couldn't come inside the hospital, it was just the difference in him throughout the day, looking forward to the visit and then being visited was just really beautiful to watch. We've been privy to a lot more intense feelings as well, um, most certainly. I think you're always seeing people at their sickest and most vulnerable, but now we're seeing people at their most vulnerable with an added bit of anxiety and fear. Yeah. Yeah, Ruby, what, what about you? Yeah, I think Kat has articulated it perfectly. It really uh, makes a difference when you work with such a good team and everyone's been going through the same thing, so it's new for everybody. We've been really lucky in the Southwest that actually we weren't overwhelmed at any point, but we really are seeing the fallout in terms of the, the mental health problems now as a direct result of, of lockdown and, and isolation. So that's all still to come, I think. Yeah. So Phoebe, what's it been like for you working with survivors of domestic abuse during this difficult time? And how's that been for you? So I used to work in direct services for about four years and I I left at the end of last year. And yeah, now I work in monitoring and evaluation. But since the lockdown happened, I really had the urge to get back into it. So I've been volunteering on this web chat service that we launched at the end of last year. And I think one of the things that's been really great about this situation is it's really made a lot of people reflect on what it might be like to be living um, under domestic abuse during this time. So the support for the cause has been incredible. And the service that I volunteer on has expanded massively in such a short space of time. So up until April, it was only live for two hours a day on weekdays. And then by May, it had increased to six hours a weekday and two hours on Saturday and Sunday. So that means that survivors can reach out on this web chat service now every day of the week, which seemed like a very distant dream when it was first set up. So it's been incredible to kind of see that happen and know that we're speaking to so many people. But yeah, at the same time, there's kind of all of these rules and restrictions that have been put in place. And obviously that gives license to people who are abusive to become more controlling and almost justifies some of their behavior in a way. And just to kind of reiterate what Ruby and Kat have said, it's not just for people who are currently living in abusive situations. Actually, a lockdown type situation can be very triggering for anybody who's experienced domestic abuse ever. You know, the long term impact of people who experience abuse can be quite significant on people's mental health. And I kind of feel a little bit like that conversation has been missing from the dialogue that's been happening about domestic abuse. You know, it's not just the impact that it's having on people who are currently living in those situations, but yeah, for anybody who, who's kind of lived with, with any of them, you know, they still want their support networks and they still need that help. 
But yeah, on the positive side of things, it's been fantastic for helping us yeah, reach more people and get more people talking about it. So the uh, Women's Aid web chat service is available yeah, Monday to Friday from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. Also Saturdays and Sundays from 10 a.m. till 12 p.m. And you can find it on the Women's Aid website, which is just womensaid.org.uk. Ruby and Cap, um, I just wondered if you have things that are, you feel are being misrepresented in the national conversation compared to your own experience. Certainly when we first started hearing the news and everything was coming in and changing from a healthcare perspective, I find it really hard to hear the word frontline. It sounds when you hear that, that you're fighting a war and it's becoming this us versus them. And I really didn't enjoy that language at all. Um, I think it made us forget that you're actually trying to help a human and it's about helping the human who is ill. It's not about, it felt more like a war in that language and it's not a war. It's Mm -hmm. helping people through a really, really difficult time. So Kat, what kind of language would you like to be used instead of frontline? I think it's important to bring the patient back to the centre of whatever we're doing when it comes to nursing. Um, So for me, it would be to say that we're patient facing in this situation. So I'd like to say that um, I think some of the language on social media um, has been actually really unhelpful. There's been quite a blame game going on with a lot of people I know on Facebook calling out other people for going on two walks a day in the beginning or going to the beach. Mm. And it's become very much a sort of, I don't know, it's like I'm doing better than everyone else. I'm making all these sacrifices um, and not really ever considering life from somebody else's perspective. I, I don't think that's very helpful. And often NHS workers are used in these arguments, for example, saying, our NHS workers has made all these sacrifices only for you to go to the beach, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want to be used in that argument because I think if somebody wants to go to the beach because they haven't been out for 12 weeks, then they absolutely should go out to the beach and everyone should, sure, should take some responsibility. But also when I'm seeing the kind of fallout in mental health that I'm seeing at work, I think it's more important for people to go and have a nice day at the beach. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that point. Yeah. Uh... I think like a lot of people, I've been struggling under lockdown. I think that it's very, very difficult for anybody, but particularly for you three in such demanding jobs. Um, I was wondering how each of you are making sure that you're like taking time for self-care and making sure that yourselves are healthy and whether you have any tips for myself and other people who are listening. Well, me and Ruby have actually been in a really similar situation where we were both living in places with vulnerable people. So because of our jobs and being um, faced with COVID directly, we've had to move into temporary accommodation. And it's, it's actually been really lovely, I have to say, uh, because we've been moved in together and it's been really great to have somebody who is going through exactly the same thing as me. And I can come home from work and be like, oh, what a day. But I think really diving into the things we enjoy, like Ruby, you've certainly been doing a lot of reading. I've been really in the kitchen doing lots of cooking. Um, and getting crafty and creative and just trying to do things that don't involve putting pressure on yourself like things that don't have to be finished and nutrition good nutrition good vegetables keeping yourself and your diet positive and happy I think it's been a really big part of just coping through it really 
Yeah, I think what you said about not putting pressure on yourself is absolutely right because I had loads of projects that I planned to complete whilst I couldn't do anything but work and actually I haven't completed many of them but I have been reading a lot more and I've really enjoyed the time that I've had to read and not think oh I should be doing something else or I'm being antisocial because you, you can't be social. Books for me are like escapism. I can become like so engrossed in a plot that I will struggle to differentiate between them and real life. So throughout lockdown, though I haven't actually left the house. I've, I've been to Victorian London in Sarah Waters, paying guests. I've traversed Amazonian South America in John Updike's Brazil and like loads of other places. I love being on my own in the house normally. But actually, I think when you don't have the option of you know having people over to stay or going over to stay at other people's it can be very difficult and I think I did have a particularly kind of difficult week or so and then I just picked up a really fantastic book and I realized that everything was okay because I could just read amazing books and it would be fine. (laughs) Nice yeah I've been reflecting on I've been reading a lot of memoirs and I think I almost feel like that's it's a way of getting to know people at a time when I'm not getting to know new people. I'm not getting to meet people like reading people's life stories is almost a substitute for that in some ways. What do you see as the role of libraries and books in health? We've talked a lot about how books create escapism, which I think is really important in itself. But the library building to me is, is a big part of this. So we see people, me and Ruby see people who are obviously in crisis and the small interventions that can be done earlier. Um, Crisis isn't always avoidable, it will happen sometimes, but the small interventions that can be done to keep people on an even keel um, are really important. And just having a space in the community that's free for all, where you're not gonna get moved on, you're not gonna be told that you need to buy a drink or a meal to be here, you're gonna meet new people, and you can just hide off in a corner and learn new books and learn new things or you can involve yourself in kind of the groups within libraries or encourage people to start up new groups and to find common interests. Phoebe do you want to just talk about book groups? Uh, Yeah okay I'm in two. One of them is with a group of colleagues it's very much been a a feminist book club which has been really great we've read some fantastic books the first one we ever did was called The Power by Naomi Alderman which is yeah a dystopian feminist novel and that is absolutely brilliant I think it only came out in 2017 and you know if you like The Handmaid's Tale and The Testaments then you'll probably really like that one Um, And we also read Woman on the Edge of Time, which I think was my favourite, which I know is also one of Ruby's favourite novels as well. And that is a utopian feminist novel. Um, If I can talk about that. Yeah. I think I already said that utopian fiction is is my favourite genre. Um, And I think Island by Aldous Huxley is sort of second best for me. It's up there with my like vision of the future. But um, nothing comes close to um, Woman on the Edge of Time by Marge Percy because the idea of living in a totally gender fluid, equal society where humans are at one with nature and, and technology 
alone is used to make babies and so the responsibility no longer falls on women and that really changed my life really because I never that had never occurred to me and it's a really controversial notion but the argument is that the only way that men will give up their need to control women is when women give up the one thing they can do that men can't do which is carry a child and so in this future men and women don't exist because everyone's gender fluid and everybody's equal and all babies are test tube babies I don't necessarily think it's ever going to happen but I love the idea that that is a way that humans could live so that is the book that I would say changed my life and that's thanks to Phoebe that I read that wow yeah I I read that book actually and I thought it was amazing. Yeah, I don't think it's written particularly well, but like the concept mm. blew me away. Yeah, yeah. The other book club is one that I kind of formed with just a group of my friends. You know, most of the time when we do get together, we'll maybe talk about the book for about half an hour and also just drink lots of wine. <laughs> so in that one, we read The Colour Purple, just one of my favourites. That's the book club I'm in, the book club with Phoebe's friends, and I love The Colour Purple. And at the start of the pandemic, Phoebe suggested reading a book called Station Eleven, which is about a global flu pandemic. So I read it, and then ironically, we couldn't ever meet up to talk about it because of the global coronavirus pandemic. Hmm. Um, But that one sort of takes the crisis to a much worst point than it ever got to in real life you know there's very few survivors so it's one of those sort of survival tales but it's also quite fascinating in the way that it's not like one of those zombie films where there's only one guy and got to fight all the zombies it's just a very small amount of people trying to recover what's left of society and and start again and build it again so obviously it was worst case scenario and I'm pretty sure it's not going to come to that in real life but it was good to have that vision to compare it to so yeah, I was also going to ask, which books have changed your life or how you see things? Yeah, so that's why I want to talk about Women on the Edge of Time by March Percy. I wasn't al- going to allow Phoebe to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so my kind of book that changed my life, as it were, would be Honourable Friends by Caroline Lucas. It came out in the early 2000s and it's about all the little mad traditions of Parliament. And the reason that it changed my life was that would have been my early teenage years. And I was kind of looking at politics as this thing that didn't apply to me and there was no reason to get involved in. And then you realise that you have to be involved in it to make it a democracy. Um, And I think that was a really big moment of my early teenage years where I suddenly thought, oh, I have to like educate myself about what our political parties are doing and, and how we can make our country better. I think The Women's Room by Marilyn French. I've been quite surprised, I think, to find how few people have read this book. But apparently when it was published in 1977, it was very popular. And so it follows this main character called Myra in the US in the 1960s. And you kind of see her growing up and becoming aware of how everybody that she's taught to idolise in, you know, books and culture and history is male and kind of starting to feel as though nothing is for her and nothing speaks to her. Um, And I really liked this book because I really identified with the character of Myra and how she kind of just wants to reject her education because of this. 
yeah, I really like that book. It really made me feel a lot less alone. And yeah, there's some great kind of commentary on different generational perspectives. And it really reminds me of conversations that I've had with some of my friends recently who've spent the lockdown period back in their family home. Have you learned anything from the pandemic so far? And do you have any hopes for for what may happen next? I suppose I've learned that humans aren't even more incredible than I thought they were. The things people do, like I was saying earlier about the family standing outside the hospital window, has been really beautiful to learn the lengths that people will go to. Um, and I'm sure we've seen little online videos of people doing amazing things for their families, etc. Um, it's probably reignited my passion for nursing a little bit again, which has been an upside. And I think I'm hoping the work-life balance will get a bit better for the rest of the world. People are seeing that more things can be done from home to be a bit easier on yourself. I think there has been a lot of conversation around feeling low in isolation and mental health. And I'm hoping that we keep having those conversations and it keeps being okay to not be okay. Absolutely. Um, and I'd also like to shout out for our other key workers as well. I think nurses and doctors get a lot, a lot of mentions, but we've, you know, what would we do without our bin people, our post people? Hospitals would have crumbled without um, the cleaners and they've been working harder than ever. Um, and they're often the lowest paid contract in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really, really deserve a massive shout out. They work 24 hours a day um, to keep us all safe, really. And they've all carried on working throughout all of this too. Um, so a massive thanks to them as well. All right. Well, thank you, Ruby, Phoebe and Kat, so much for coming and joining and talking with us and sharing all that with us today. That's really great. Thank, thank, you. thank you for having us. It's been great. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. Uh, right. Well, I think that is everything for this episode. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach us on the usual social media channels and using the hashtag ShelfLifeBristol. We'd like to give a special shout out to Will, who's a library assistant at Avonmouth, for his work helping to edit this podcast for us. A huge thank you also to Dan Davies for the theme tune and to Ollie, a library assistant at Knoll, for their transitional music. Thanks again to our guests today for all their um, wonderful book recommendations as well. And bye for now. Bye. 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 Thank you for joining us for this episode of Shelf Life. Please subscribe, rate and review us wherever you listen. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at library.ideas at bristol.gov.uk. Or find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Bristol Libraries. We hope to see you again for the next episode of Shelf Life.